Hello friends, this is Doug Scheibel, and welcome to uh, the Premature Bible Institute. I'm your free-range podcaster with Ethnos360, and I just want to welcome you to this uh, set of lessons uh, that we've been working on now for almost a year. Uh, it's been pretty neat uh, to be able to do a lesson each week, uh, starting at the beginning, well actually before the beginning, and we're now getting close to finishing up the Old Testament. We're not very far away, and we'll be getting that here before too long. And I just want to thank you so much for joining me through all these things. I hope that through all of these lessons, we'll learn more and more about who God really is, his nature and character. We'll learn more about who uh, mankind really is, their nature and character, and uh, God's provision of a, of a promised redeemer, a deliverer who would take care of the sin issue that happened way back in Genesis 3.15. So in order to do that, uh, I just want you to know that you're going to be identifying with people in so many different ways, not only with people, but with God, with all kinds of things in different ways and, and different ways of looking at it. So that being said, let's just continue on with this lesson. Uh, I've been kind of, uh, this lesson that you're hearing will probably be the first one in the new year, uh, but I'm recording it probably about mid-December of uh, 2018. So coming up on the Christmas season before too long, but and uh, by the time you get to be watching this or listening to it, it'll be over. So just want to say Merry Christmas, and I hope you had a good time and have a good uh, New Year. Uh, in this lesson, uh, we're going to be going through several hundred years of history, about 400 years worth of history. Um, we have dealt with a lot of different issues along the way, and in certain places we stopped, and we wanted to... Uh, dwell on a few things because they're important to understand. But now as time goes on, there are some things we can um, talk about, but we just need to uh, move on through because for the purposes of what we're trying to do in this particular type of teaching, uh, we can uh, come over a lot of years of, of history at this point. But let's review a little bit of what happened in the last lesson. We see that uh, Israel continues to reject God. They continue to disbelieve him. They don't take him at his word, and they complained and so on. So in the last lesson, we talked about how they complained about the, uh, some things, and then God sent fiery serpents, and those serpents started biting people, and they started dying. And so the people came to Moses, and he says, Listen, impl uh, implore the Lord for us. Uh, plead with him to, to take these serpents away. And so uh, God told Moses to do something very kind of unique and seems kind of strange, but a lot of things in the Old Testament may seem strange to the people at the time. But God, as we look back on it, we can see the point of it. So God told Moses to construct a bronze serpent, make his bronze serpent, and set it on a pole. And it, he said that if people looked at that serpent after they'd been bitten, they'll live. Now, they won't die. But if people did not look at it, then they would die. And so the bronze serpent, uh, you need to remember, had never had any power to save anybody. It was God who would save them. But God asked the people to do something, just a simple thing. All he said was, look at the serpent and you'll live. If you don't, you'll die. Some people died uh, because they just uh, they may have thought it was stupid. They would have thought, why do that? But the people who looked at the serpent, they survived. And see, this is the thing with God. God sometimes asks us to do things that we may think are silly, and they really aren't even silly And if you really look at them. Uh, they're normal things like uh, leaving family and friends to go tell people who've never, ever heard before uh, of the, who this God is. But he wants us to understand uh, that he wants us to do what he wants us to do. And if we follow what he tells us, things will be fine. They'll be all right. And so... Uh, 
Um, we need to understand that. So now we've done this. We've uh, we've had this thing where the serpent was. Uh, he, uh, um, they had to look at it, and some of the people survived. But now they're, Israel is getting ready. This is right before they're getting ready to go into the land of Canaan, the promised land, the land that God had promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so God uh, uh, prepares uh, them to enter into Canaan. And uh, um, all the member, all the people who had disobeyed God 40 years earlier, God said none of them from 20 years old on, on up would not be able to enter into the promised land. They, would, they had er, died earlier, and they were just about to all die you know, because everybody would die before the uh, that was 20 years old and upward at that time they would all die and so they wouldn't be able to enter into the promised land so anybody that was just born or anybody that was born after that point up to their 20th or 19th birthday they would get to go into the promised land and so god was making that promise so what is god saying here god is saying he kept his word all that he said that would happen way back 40 years earlier is now getting ready to come to pass. The only two that could come in that were survivors of that thing were Joshua and Caleb. Remember, they were the two spies that went into the land and uh, with the other 10 spies to spy it out and see what the land was like. And they all came back with this glowing report of what it was like. But 10 of them said, man, there's giants in the land. We don't want to go in there. We're just like grasshoppers in their sight. Joshua and Caleb says, no problem. Let's take them out. We'll got it. God's with us. What difference does that make? What they look like. And so as a result of that, they caused the people of Israel to almost want to stone Joshua and Caleb and, and Moses. And God uh, really, really... Uh, uh, he let him know that he was serious about what was going on, and so he made this promise that none of them would enter uh, enter in. So God kept his word, and only Joshua and Caleb were now going to enter into the promised land. The oldest person to enter the promised land besides Joshua and Caleb would be 60 years old. That's the oldest anybody would be that could enter into that promised land. So <clears throat> they're getting ready to go in, and remember, God told Moses he couldn't go into the land because of, of his disobedience to him when uh, God told him to speak to the rock to make and water would come out, and Moses struck the rock twice. As a result, Moses, uh, water came out, but there was a cost to it. Uh, Moses couldn't go and enter into the land. So God decided to choose Joshua. And Joshua, one of those two, Joshua and Caleb, uh, God chose Joshua to take Moses' place uh, and bring the Israelites into the promised land. So God kept his word with the Israelites, and he will keep his word with Moses. Okay? So God doesn't show favoritism. It doesn't make any difference whether you're a king or whether you're a pauper or a, uh, a uh, homeless person. It doesn't make any difference. God treats everyone the same. Uh People either need to believe him or they don't. Uh, and our job is to get a message to them so that they can believe him. So um, God doesn't show favoritism. Joshua believed God and was faithful to do that all God wanted him to do. As a result, God says, okay, Joshua, I want you to lead the people into the promised land. And so here's what, let's read this in Numbers chapter 27, verses 18 through 23. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. He shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. And that's part of the... Um, ceremonial um, clothing that the high priest would wear. And he, at his word, they shall go out 
and at his word they shall come in, he and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. So now this thing is all done in front of everybody. Everybody knows what's going on. And so Moses lays hands and blesses Joshua and, and places that authority upon him now as to be the leader of the Israelites as they go into the promised land. So that's what they were going to do. Now remember, Joshua believed God when he went out and spied out the land uh, of Canaan. He showed himself to be faithful throughout the whole 40 years that they were out there in the wilderness. He never turned his back on God, never turned his back on Moses. He was a faithful, faithful man. Um, and so God chose faithful men to lead the Israelites into the promised land. All right? So what happens next? Then a big event happens. And this is just to show that God meant what he said. Um, God sends Moses to Mount Nebo. Now it's in the land, there's a mountain there. And he, it was a specific mountain and he wanted Moses to go there for a reason. And God showed him the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all of their descendants. So God tells Moses, go up to this place called Mount Nebo, and I want you to look at all the land that I have promised to the Israelites, all right? So in Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 through 5, it says this, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali and all the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. I know it kind of sounds kind of funny the way I'm saying that, but that's just the way the punctuation is. So he's showing him all this land. He can see all this. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. All right? So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And so... Just as God said, Moses would not enter the land. Moses died there. And uh, in script, another passage of Scripture, I won't read it right now, but it says nobody knows where the Lord buried Moses. But that's what the Lord did. The Lord buried Moses. And I think He didn't. they didn't want to make Moses into an idol, a place of worship where people could go. So God buried him where he, uh, he thought best to bury him. So Moses saw the land. Moses, I'm sure, regretted all that he had done. Oh, man, I could have gone into the land with them. But the Lord knows best, and he, and he knows what he did was wrong. So God means what he says. When he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. You can count on it. Our actions, uh, just as Moses did, have consequences, both good and bad. Sometimes what we do brings about blessing. Sometimes what we do doesn't. Uh, it brings about the opposite. And we just have to leave that in the Lord's hand. Moses dies seeing the land, but not able to enter into it. So that was... Uh, I, you just hate to see that, but that's that's what it is. Sometimes I hear people on radio talking about the, the land uh, where Moses walked in, and I know that we know he didn't walk in there. He never got the chance to go in there. But that's all right. I mean, the Lord knows what's best, and the Lord didn't uh, forget, uh, reject Moses because of the mistake he made. There was just a consequence to his action because he did it in front of everybody, and he showed everybody that he uh, uh, disobeyed the Lord and that there, he thought there wouldn't be a consequence to it. 
or maybe he thought he had the right motive in doing it, but God says, no, do what I tell you, no matter what you think the motive is. So anyway, so Joshua gets ready to lead the people into Canaan, gets ready to take them in there. uh, And the people listen to Joshua, and they listen to God's wisdom through Joshua, and the Spirit of God um, uh, anointed, uh, let me say this back, the people listened to Joshua as he had God's wisdom and Spirit, and Moses anointed him uh, uh, to lead Israel. We know that, all right? So Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 say this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over to uh, this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. So now he's telling him, says, get up, lead the people over into the promised land. I'm giving it to them, just as I promised I would, just as I promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Uh, now, I want you to understand something. Joshua did not choose to be the leader of the people. God chose him to be the leader of the people. Joshua didn't ask for this. The people didn't even ask for Joshua to be their leader. It was God was the one who chose him to be uh, to do this, to lead them into that land. So Joshua 11, verses 20, uh, chapter 11, verse 23, kind of skipping over a little bit, says, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses. And Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. So the first chap- 11 chapters of, of Joshua, we talk about there's a lot of war. Remember when uh, they went into this land, people probably think, well, they took the land from someone else. But see, who does the land really belong to? It belongs to the Lord. And remember what he told Abraham. He says, they're going to go over there and they're going to take that hand in 450 years. Why? He says, because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And so what God was saying there through all of that is that he was going to um, he wanted to displace the people who were there because they were really, really evil people. They do some awful things, and God wanted the, the Israelites to have that land. That land was God's to begin with. God has the right. He has the deed on that land, and he can put anybody on that land that he sees fit, and he chose to do that with Israel. So... Um, Uh, Joshua led the Israelites into the land and took possession of the land as God said that he would. Just like he said, whatever God says, it comes to pass. From Abraham to the entering of Canaan was 450 years. Uh, Joshua uh, had obeyed all that God had told him to do, and he led the Israelites into relative peace in the land. So the time came when everybody was there in their own place. So now uh, we're talking a lot about years again. It's time for Joshua to pass on to die. And so before he dies, he gathers all the Israelites together to encourage and to warn the people. And so here's what he said, Joshua 23, verses 14 through 16. Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. That is a euphemism why we would say he's passing on or he passed on or he passed away. So I'm going the way of all the earth. What he's saying is I'm going to die. That's a euphemism for that. This day I'm going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. 
when you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. So what Joshua is doing is giving a warning and an encouragement. He says, look, every listen, Jesus, just look at all that God has done for you. Has anything not been fulfilled that he promised would happen? No, it's all taken place, just as he said. But remember this. If you choose to go the other way, remember that promise that we made back in uh, on Mount Sinai. If you do what I uh, tell you, I'll bless you. If you don't, I'll curse you. So if you decide to turn against the Lord, He's going to not only He's going to destroy you, not completely, but He's going to remove you from this land and give it to other people. All right. So, what do you think Israel did? They heard this exhortation from Joshua. Uh, Do you think he listened to what Joshua had to say? Well, let's see. Judges chapter 2, uh, verses 7 through 13. So we're going back. We're going, I'm sorry, we're going forward. Now Joshua's died. He's passed away. And so it says this, in, uh, Judges chapter 2, verses 7 through 13. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. So all the people who had seen all the things that had taken place, uh, in the wilderness and coming into uh, Canaan, all those people now um, are there. They uh, he uh, during that time when all those people were still alive, the people served God. Nephthah says this in verse eight. Now Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was a hundred and ten years old, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Heres, in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gosh. Uh, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, in other words, they'd all died, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord. Okay? These people had not seen all the evidences of the Lord, uh, who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And those are gods of different types. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroths. Those are some idols and gods that people were worshiping. So all it took was one generation after all living memory of everything that had happened. And when we talk about living memory, those are people who were eyewitnesses of uh, the time in the wilderness or the time when they were in Canaan and saw the Lord give them all the land. When all of those people had passed away, it says a new generation came up that had not seen those things. They just threw it all away. And I think we see that even in today. I mean, we I know even in our generation, we've seen a lot of things that have happened in, in ours after World War II and and you know, so on, and we're just sowing things away. Well, it doesn't take long. It only takes one generation to do that. Look at it. Remember with Adam and Eve? Their first child was a murderer. Their second child, the victim. One generation is all it takes. So um, it didn't take long, did it? It didn't take long for them to turn their back on God. The lie that Satan told in the beginning to Eve is the same lie he has always told. Did God really say this? Did God really say, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So his whole thing is to get you to doubt God. That's his whole point. As we said before, Satan doesn't care what you believe as long as you don't believe the Lord or believe in him. Okay? If you don't believe that he exists, there's no reason you wouldn't believe 
what he has to say. But to believe that a God exists and then not believe what he's telling you, what's the point of that? Why would he be a God? I mean, it doesn't even make sense. It's the same result. It always has the same result. Mankind always looking to themselves for all the answers. Man lifts himself up in his own wisdom, which is not wise at all. Uh, we have a God who knows everything there is to know and is good and gracious and kind, but he's also just and he's a not, he doesn't respect people. Uh, respect, uh, he's no respecter of persons, which means he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't show favorites. Uh, that's what he's like. Because the Israelites would not believe God, he would send them to different countries to battle them and bring them in and bring the Israelites into bondage so that they would call to him for help. So you're going to start seeing here, and we're going to talk about this here in just a second, that uh, after Joshua died and these people would happen, there was a period of time, what they called the, the period of the judges. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But that's what would happen. People would turn their back on God. Other nations would come and put them in captivity or bondage or servitude of some sort. And then they'd call on the Lord and the Lord would deliver them and so on. But here's how he did it. Judges chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it says this, And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were greatly distressed. So God wasn't, uh, what Joshua told them, was, was happening just as he said. You do what the Lord tells you, he'll bless you. He'll just keep on blessing you. But if you turn your back on him, you're going to pay for it. It's going to cost you. There's going to be consequences. So God cared enough for the Israelites to do whatever it took to get them to listen to him. He knew that if he just said something, they weren't going to listen to him. So what he had to do is bring them into such hardship that they, the only place they could turn to was him. And then he would deliver them. God doesn't uh, punish people, punish his children because he doesn't care. He disciplines them because they're his kids, because he does care. So Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. In other words, um, he gives his kids spankings, what it boils down to. He kind of takes the rod to him and says, listen, you're going to have to straighten up here and come back in the line. This is for your benefit. Not, I'm not doing this because it benefits me. I'm doing this to benefit you. So whatever Israel's choice was, God was obligated to keep his word and his promise. So if they did what he wanted, he would bless them. If they didn't, he would curse them. So uh, because of this, God decided to choose judges to lead Israel, uh, lead the nation of Israel. Now, by judges, these weren't kings or anything like that. They were just people that there was a cycle of people. There were 14 of them, if I remember right. And what they were were uh, people would... Um, turn against the Lord, they'd call out to the Lord, the Lord would send a judge, and he would deliver Israel. And uh, and then uh, then there would be a time of peace, and then they would turn against the Lord. This went on quite a few times. So uh, after Joshua died, God raised up judges to lead Israel. Now, there were many judges. Some of them were famous, but some were not. One of the judges was Samson. We all know that story of Samson. He was one of Israel's judges. Another one was Gideon. 
Uh, we know about him. And he was also uh, a judge. And there were a lot of different judges in Israel at that time. Even uh, uh, Dinah was uh, uh, a judge uh, that talked about her. And Barak, or Barak, I guess I should say, was his name. So the the the, the pattern was the people uh, would turn their back on the Lord. They'd rebel. Then they'd be punished. Then they would be repent. They would turn to the Lord. Then they would be delivered, and they would obey, they would obey Him and be delivered, and that happened fourteen different times. Uh, so if you over several hundred years, so it's a pretty amazing thing that happened. Uh, judges two verses sixteen through nineteen says this. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the house, uh, out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot or played the prostitute with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They, uh, I'm sorry. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked. In obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved by to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. So you can see the pattern. It's just a cycle over and over and over again. A judge comes, delivers Israel, time of peace. The people rebel. They go into bondage. They cry out to the Lord. The Lord raises up another judge time of peace, and so on. It just does this 14 different times. So why didn't the Lord destroy Israel and their continued disobedience? Why didn't he just wipe them off the face of the earth? Why? Because God made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, remember, that there would be a perpetual uh, covenant. It would not be one that would be uh, that would go by the wayside. So God uh, told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would bring his uh, people into the land and they, well, there's more to it than just that. But that was it was going to be a perpetual inheritance. That means it would never be given or transferred to anybody else. Uh, and God cannot go back on his promises. Why? Because he cannot lie. So if God says something, it's going to happen. That's just all there is to it. And he has the power to make it happen. So God eventually would provide a way uh, in which they could all be delivered. We know that. That was way back in Genesis 3.15. His promise of a deliverer or a redeemer would one day come and take care of the issue once and for all. But for now, they're they're under a contract with God to do what he tells them. And if they didn't, then God, that con, other part of that contract is they would have problems as a result of that. So um, God's purpose in all these trials and blessings for Israel was repentance and restoration. All the time, he's trying to get Israel to come back to him, to come back to him, to come back to him. And they keep turning away and turning away. It's just a hard, hard thing. So he keeps on going. And finally, there came along the last judge. And the last judge's name was Samuel. And uh, he was the last judge in Israel. And there were, like I said, 13 of them had come and gone and done what they had done. And Samuel was going to be the last judge. Now, he didn't know he was going to be the last judge. Nobody did, but God did. And when Samuel was old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel, but God was not going to have any part in that, right? 
So God didn't appoint. See, all the judges had been appointed by God to be uh, to were raised up by God. But see, Samuel appointed his sons because he they were rebellious, they were stiff-necked, they were hard-hearted, and uh, Samuel was afraid of them. And uh, you could say he loved them, but he really didn't in, in the true sense of the word. He just um, he thought more of his children than he did of Israel. And so they uh, did a lot of things that they shouldn't have. 1 Samuel 8, verses 1 through 3, it says this. <coughs> Excuse me. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the second, and the name of his second, Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Now Samuel wasn't like that at all. He was a good man. He really followed the Lord, but he just didn't do that. He didn't raise his sons well, and his sons just did what they wanted. And he should have disciplined them like a father. Like I said before that particular passage, uh, uh, no man uh, you know enjoys chasing their children, um, uh, spanking their children, if you want to put it that way. But the purpose for doing that is so that, that people will follow him. You're doing it for their benefit, to keep them from hurting themselves. Judges were raised up to deliver uh, Israel, not uh, decide civil matters. That wasn't the point of a judge. The point of the judge was there to deliver Israel. Okay? And so uh, God was to be their king. He was going to be the one that made, he made or had already made all the rules. And so there wasn't a need to be another judge. Now, Israel was different in that they did not have a king. Um, They didn't have a king like all the other nations did. They had God as their king. And so when I say a king, they didn't have a king. They didn't have a human king. All they had was God, which was plenty, believe me. That that was enough. And so um, that's what they, that was what set them apart. But was that enough for them? Well, let's just read here in 1 Samuel 8, verses 4 through 7. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them." So you see, the people of the Israel at this point finally said, we don't want God to be reigning over us. We don't want him to be the king. We want to have a king just like everybody else. We want to be like everyone else. We want we want to be respected by other people. We want to be thought well of, okay? So Israel was going to go in the way of their ancestors, you know? They rejected God, and they wanted to be independent of him, uh, but not... Uh, they wanted to be independent of him, but they didn't want to be disrespected by other people. They, they thought more about what other people thought about them than what God thought about them. And that was a, that was a bad thing to be a position in. They only wanted to be independent of God. That's the problem that Adam and Eve had. They thought independently of God. They, they were thinking of doing things differently than what God wanted them to do. And that's independence there. So... Uh, they um, they only want to be an independent of God. And does that remind you of anyone? Yes, Adam and Eve and everybody else. Uh, every, all the descendants of Adam, they're all like that. Everybody wanted to be, and only a few people 
came out and said, no, we want to serve the Lord. Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods in Egypt and so on. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that was Joshua's. He trusted the Lord. So, boy, can you imagine how many commandments are being broken by this request to have a king over them? I mean, you'd have to sit down and think about this a little bit, and you know, maybe that'd be fun for you to do, but just think about that. So who does uh, God appoint then? God appoints Saul uh, to be the first king of Israel. A lot of people think David was the first king, but he wasn't. Saul was. And so Saul, God gave Israel the person they thought would be the ideal king for them. So they looked at this guy, and his name was Saul. And I'm telling you what, Saul was, man, it says here, well, let's read this. Verse, uh, 1 Samuel 9, verse 2. And he had a choice and a handsome son whose name was Saul. And there was a lot more handsome, uh, there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. For his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So this guy was a big guy. He was the Chris Hemsworth of Israel. He was the, you know, the, um, who's uh, Captain America, Chris Evans. Uh, all those guys that really look good and they're buff and they look good and men are just really handsome guys and stuff like that. That's what they wanted. They wanted a face that pleased them, but they didn't want the Lord because they couldn't see his face. And so that was uh, that was one thing. So Saul was one of the was the first king of many kings who ruled over Israel. First uh, Samuel uh, verse eleven verses fourteen um, and fifteen says this. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So everybody is tickled to death. They're happy. They couldn't be any happier. The only person that probably wasn't was Samuel, uh, and then also God, because they were rejecting him. And that's not what he wanted. They got a king just like everybody else got, right? And all they had to do was reject the king. They got a king like everybody else, and all they had to do was reject the king of the universe, the one who owns everything. And so that was a high price to pay just to have a man rule over you who was also flawed, just like they were. Uh, what a trade-off. Even though God could have destroyed them for their unfaithfulness, uh, he still remembered his promise to Abraham. Uh, no matter what Israel did, God had made a promise to Abraham that he would uh, make a great nation of them and, and so on. And then one of his descendants would be the deliverer. So God's purposes and plans cannot be hindered. No matter who is uh, uh, doing anything, no matter what choice I make, that cannot stop God from fulfilling his plan. No matter what Israel or Samuel or Saul or Joshua or Moses or whatever, no one can, um, uh, what's the word, hinder God's plan. It's going to come take place whether we like it or not. And so, uh, but why not choose to like what his plan is? Um, it doesn't make any difference what we do. It's going to happen, you know. He allows people to be a part of his eternal plan to bless all people, but he will never violate their choice to be a part of that plan. Okay? So, if people, if God wants people to be a part of that plan, that means they need to know what the plan is. And that's our job is to go and tell them. So this lesson that we're just getting ready, we've just done, has covered a period of about 400 years now. 
So there's a lot that's been going on. We do, we're, we're jumping over a lot of things in order to get here, but this is where we're at. This lesson covers a period of about 400 years. So in conclusion, watching people reject the Lord uh, because they're afraid of persecution is a difficult thing to watch. These people were afraid of people not liking them or whatever. They were afraid of being persecuted. And so that's why they rejected the Lord. That's a hard thing to look at. But watching people reject the Lord because they want to pursue the world and what it has to offer is also hard to watch. People who will give their hearts and souls and minds and strength to a basketball team or a football team or to their job or to a person or whatever— and not even consider the Lord. And that's a hard thing to watch, too, because we know that our lives are going to end someday. And what's going to happen then? You know, uh, but the hardest, those are hard things to watch. People who are afraid of persecution and people who want to live according to the world's standards. Those are hard to watch. But the hardest thing to watch are is people or are people who follow their own ways because they do not know that the Lord exists and wants to bring them into his family uh, and to bring them from darkness to light to serve the living and true God. See, that's a hard thing to watch. See, it's one thing for you to know this, hear this message, and hear this uh, story, if you want to put it that way, hear of what God's wanting to know and rejecting it. It's another thing to hear it and not understand it, but it's another thing not to hear it at all not to even have any concept that this story and this God and this Redeemer, Deliverer that he promised would come is even going to prom- is even going to come. They don't know about it. So that's why we do what we do. We're trying to tell people about this message. So that being said, I just want to say again, thank you guys for being a part of this, uh, this uh, course here, if you want to put it that way, these lessons. And the purpose of it is so that we can have a better understanding of who God really is, that he is who he says he is. <coughs> Excuse me. We need to be faithful to him. We need to learn and understand what's important to him. And so if I could say anything to you, this is find out what's important to him and then make that important to you. So, and that being said, just want to thank you for being here. Remember, if anybody, if you know anybody that wants to listen to these or you think they would like to, uh, just tag a friend and have them uh, get on their favorite podcast uh, app and look for the Premature Bible Institute, and they'll find um, um, all my podcasts that I've done up to this point. And if they want to watch a video, I've got them on YouTube also. So you can go to YouTube and just look up my name, Doug Scheibel, D-O-U-G, and then there's a space and Scheibel, S-C-H-A-I-B-L-E. And if they get on either one of those, please have them subscribe to both of those. And let's just keep this thing going. Thank you all this week uh, for listening in. Appreciate you guys so much. Bye.